Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm your host, Jim Saunders, and joining the podcast is special guest Nick Sandoval. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Last week of the quarter and finals yeah. and stress and... I want to die a little bit, but that's yeah. okay, because we're almost done. It's this yeah. last little hump, last little uh, last little, little camel hump. I'm doing a, a motion with my hand right now. I don't know why I'm doing that. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, how's it, how's it going? It's been good. Yeah, like you said, it's getting pretty tough at the end, but I don't know. This should be a pretty, like, nice break in between cramming for finals and staying up to, like, 3 a.m., so. right. Yeah, I'm going to be, I have a final tomorrow morning at 8.30 in the morning, and I don't like that it's at 8.30 in the morning at yeah. all, and I'm probably not going to sleep very much, but it's, uh, it's what you got to do. Yeah. It's, it's, you got to do what you got to do when you're here, so, yeah. I don't know, Golden Globes nominations come out Sunday? Do they really? Yes. I, I, I forgot those existed. That's cool. That's cool. Um, probably going to get some love for stuff like... Uh, like Dolomite and Rocket Man in the comedy, in the comedy and musical category. Yeah. Which is cool because I really enjoyed Rocket Man and Dolomite was really good too, but like Rocket Man's gonna get like nothing during the Oscar yeah. season. So. Even though Taron Edgerton is going like incredibly hard. Yeah. He's campaigning super hard, but right. it's happening. And the we talked about it last podcast on the Parasite episode, but like the the best actor category is so stacked right now. Yeah. Like it, there's like so many potential categories or potential uh, nominations for those. And I feel like Golden Globes will you know, so go, sort of give more of a, a variation of, like... Yeah. The way they do the actor categories are kind of weird, the Golden Globes, because they do best actor drama, best actress drama, but then there's just one... Supporting. Supporting, which yeah. I thought was kind of strange. Yeah. It's, it's a little odd, but I guess it's to yeah. save time. Well, I mean, because I feel like a lot of the supporting roles are typically comedic. That's true. That's fair. Like, that's that's usually where they delegate those, but, yeah, it is, it is, it is sort of an odd choice. I think they do just also... Uh, like a single screenplay, yeah. Category, right? They don't they don't separate those yeah. either. There's other rules like Parasite can't get nominated best drama because it's international. Like they don't have they have rules against that, but like Bong Joon Ho right. could get nominated for best director. Like the rules for the the Hollywood Foreign Press rules are kind of strange. Yeah, Golden Globes are a weird awards show, but they're a weird awards show. I feel like everyone's just drunk at that yeah. awards show. The Golden Globes don't really matter, but they're still really fun because like. Yeah. As we've seen last year, they're typically a pretty good indication of what yeah. ends up getting the Oscars. Yeah, because last year, Premier Rhapsody and Green Book just cleaned up, and everyone was like, oh, God, I hope not. And, and then that yeah. happened at the Oscars. And I don't know the exact history of, like, what... Because uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the year before what ended up winning um, at the Golden Globes. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it was it was three, three billboards ended up winning Best Drama, and then Lady Bird ended up winning Best Comedy. And yeah, I feel like neither of those really got it. Yeah, three billboards, like, uh, Frances McDormand won oh, that's true, one nice for actress. actress. And I guess like, Gary Oldman. But, like, I don't think Lady Bird got anything at the Oscars. Yeah, but Oldman got Best Actor here, and he won that at the Oscars. So I guess yeah. it's kind of predictive. A little bit, a little bit. I do think Chalamet deserved it that year, though. I think Call Me By Your Name deserved all the awards yeah. <laughs> that year. But they were just, like... It's too gay for the Academy, so yeah. they just gave it the screenplay award. I remember um, thinking it was going to go to Daniel Day-Lewis. It was, like, the last role. Oh, yeah, because that was Phantom Thread. Yeah. That was that year. I still haven't seen that movie. I was going to watch it's it over great. break. It's, I, I really, I, yeah, I watched it over Thanksgiving <coughs> break. It's great. Nothing but amazing I mean, things PTA, about it. so if you don't like PTA, right. if you do like PTA, which I love PTA, then... I'm trying to go through a bunch of directors' filmographies right now, so, like... I feel like it'd be an interesting double feature with... Call Me By Your Name. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread and... and really? Yeah, okay. they're both about, like, relationships, but Phantom Thread is just, like, a lot more screwed-up relationship. Gotcha. I'm... So, like, I recently... This is sort of, like, a, a deeper-cut director, but I recently started, like, really getting into John Cassavetes. Oh, yeah, I haven't ever seen anything by him. And so... Mm-hmm. I think the most notable thing he's done is a, a Woman Under the Influence, which I think is, like, his best movie also. They're they're all really weird movies, yeah. But it's it's got that sort of authenticity that I really appreciate about it, and it's like hugely influential on a bunch of uh, independent cinema. Yeah. Um. Some I I have gone through pretty much all of his movies at this point, and then 
uh, currently going through Scorsese, which you know this was a this this movie that we're about to talk about was a pretty big milestone in that. Yeah. Um, uh, what else am I trying to do? I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to do Noah Baumbach because Marriage Story just come, come out. out. Yeah, I was kind of doing that too. I just rewatched Francis Ha. Yeah, I was going to watch uh, Squid in the Well soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so that it comes um, out today, doesn't it? It's out today. On, yeah. As we're, when we're recording this on Friday, December sixth, it is out on Netflix, and I've heard nothing but incredible, incredible, incredible things about it. And so I'm really excited. I wish you could watch it tonight, but like, yeah, I need to pass my accounting <laughs> class, so I, I'm not gonna do that. But yeah, I'm just trying to go through because I feel like for as long as I've been involved in film club and as long as I've been doing this podcast, I feel like. I always feel like I'm not qualified because I haven't yeah. seen like these classic movies yeah. from like amazing directors. So, but I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Um, but I think we should just get into it. The Irishman is speaking of movies on Netflix is now out on Netflix, and it's a good movie. I'm not crazy about it, but I think I like this other movie from him a lot more. I think it's so fun and. Subverted my expectations, even though I knew it was going to happen, and it just leaves you with a lot to think about about the current state of capitalism. And it's it's a very morally gray movie in a sense, yeah. Because it's it's you see uh, Jordan Belfort, you know, do good things for you know his co- his cohorts and like the people uh, working at his firm, but you know he's also screwing so many investors yeah. and, and innocent people over. That it's like it's you're often like found rooting for these really terrible people. Yeah, it's like a movie that kind of straddles a pretty like nuanced line between like being just wildly entertaining, but also short showing like just the worst people doing yeah. horrible things. So it's like I remember I was I, when I was watching it, rewatching it, it was just like a lot of the parts. It's easy to get caught up in like, oh man, this is crazy. Then it's also like the Jordan Belfort character is just. A terrible, terrible person who does terrible things and rips off innocent people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do? What does it say about me that like parts of this is like, oh, this is entertaining and fun to watch. And right. It's a very funny movie, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, this is yeah. Like it's it makes you think like like what is it saying about me if I'm enjoying them do these? Yeah, things? I mean, what does it even say about like this is Scorsese's biggest financial hit ever? Right. Which yeah. is like, what does that say about about you know? the American audiences. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I guess we haven't said the name of the movie. Uh, we were talking about The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which is, again, insanely entertaining, but also, I think, really thought-provoking. I guess we've already started talking about it, but what, do you, what are your general thoughts about it? Um, I mean, I love it. I'm yeah. a big Scorsese guy, which is not really a hot take. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I liked it, I think, more watching it the second time or a couple times when I first watched it I was kind of mixed on it mm-hmm. I was like oh is this movie a little too long but going back to it after a couple of years I was like no this is great it's just super fun it's pretty interesting too it came right after I think Hugo which I think is probably my least favorite Scorsese movie really yeah I just felt like I think was, that's the that was the one Scorsese movie like before I really got into film that I'd, I'd ever seen yeah. because it was the only family movie yeah. he's ever made I think it was like that was like Scorsese was late in his career he's like let me do something different and it was kind of like a little bit of yeah. I mean, like it was kind of a the reception was all over the place for that one. So I think for this one, he's just like no, it's, gonna, it's definitely it's definitely unfamiliar territory. Yeah, right? for this one, he's like, I'm gonna get back to what I do best, which is I mean, just which is showing society's worst people doing the worst like terrible things. Right. And yeah, this one obviously became a huge hit. But yeah, I mean, I really really love this movie. This is your first time seeing it, right? It's my first time seeing it. I saw it yesterday and. I just, for a three-hour-long movie, I didn't feel the length whatsoever. Yeah. Whatsoever. It was so consistently entertaining, and that's a lot to do with the pacing and the editing. Like, thank God for uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, who's yeah. a longtime collaborator with Martin Scorsese, who's edited, like, all of his movies, pretty much. Uh, I think, I think like, the editing and just the pacing really shines in this, because I think also the fact that um, the narrative almost follows, like, a... A traditional arc yeah it's like you think it's going to end around the the two-hour mark like it's it's it seems like a pretty traditional 
biopic kind of story yeah. for the first like two or so like two hours where it's like okay you know he's he's just starting out and then he becomes this big stockbroker and starts his own company and like you know is taking 50% of people's shares and screwing people over but getting all this money and getting himself in a lot of fin- financial and legal trouble and it's a bunch of crazy stuff bunch of really explicit stuff and then eventually you think it, it gets to a point where it's like the Quaalude scene, right? Yeah. Which the is lemon dilute scene. Insane. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a very funny movie as well. Right. Like that whole, like, yeah, like, it's, you don't know, like, his perception is that he's talking normally and he's like, oh, I didn't get a scratch on my car the entire way home. And then and then it shows the scene where he actually yeah. like, ran into everything and it's like a miracle he survived. That's another thing that it was sort of in this movie is like all these innocent people in the situations he's, he's put in, like, have die like he was in the the um the he's trying to get to where was he trying to get to oh um on the, in the yacht. yacht in yeah, the yacht he's trying to get to hold on I can. but it's it's just whole idea of like okay these people are actively screwing innocent people over yet innocent people you know take the fault for it yes like he is completely unscathed that's like represented by the the car scene when he's on Quaaludes yeah. and Monaco Monaco, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's represented in that car scene. It's represented in in uh, in the yacht scene. Like how, like why do these people deserve to live when they're actively, you know, yeah, doing think, what they're doing? I think even the kind of like little interludes he does kind of show like it kind of just I guess reminds the audience just like what terrible people are. Like I think a big one is uh, um, like when he's they're talking about the girl the like secretary I think or I forget what exactly position is that's just kind of like hooked up with every guy in the office mm-hmm. and then they talk about she gets married and then it's just kind of a side like oh yeah that guy killed himself and then it just kind of brushes over it right it kind of just shows that like every so often it's just that these people don't really care about normal people all they do is about is about themselves like they're all just incredibly selfish even if it, they have this lavish and wild lifestyle right yeah I think the interludes kind of really do a little, uh, really do well Kind of highlighting that, mm-hmm. and th- that's an- that's another another thing that exemplified. And like, there's uh, they're just in an office. It's like Jordan and and like a few of um, a few of the other stockbrokers, and they're like planning this this thing where they're going to throw a a couple really short people. Oh yeah, up against the um, on the, the target the, the Velcro yeah. target. And they're not even really describing them as human. They're just describing them as as playthings. Yeah, it's just, it's just like, like, well, they were built for this. This is what they do. Yeah, like they're they're like top heavy. Or yeah, it's 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 so bizarre and it's it's exaggerated, but it's like uh, there are people that think this way about people. Yeah, and it's. I mean, that was kind of a criticism when we first came out. It was like some people were like, "Well, is this?" glorifying mm-hmm. this type of lifestyle and it's like well what happens if people like go like and which I guess it's kind of happened somewhat like you get like a finance bro guy it's like oh my god Jordan Beaufort is just the dude's awesome his lifestyle is like oh my god just I would love to do that which is mm-hmm. kind of a criticism but I feel like I don't know I feel like Scorsese kind of has a lot of movies with morally ambiguous people mm-hmm. but the, a lot of his movies I guess for lack of a better term it's just like like just showing something doesn't equal an endorsement of that and I feel like yeah yeah, I feel like that's kind of obvious, but there is some people who watch this movie and go, oh my god, Jordan Belfort, it looks like he has an awesome life. Right, and I think uh, I think a lot of a lot of those misinterpretations are, are, are really unfortunate because I, a lot of movies a lot of movies that share those same morally ambiguous characters that um, and those ideas are also kind of like quote-unquote film bro movies. Yeah. And there's a lot of those kind of that kind of audience that will actively misinterpret, you know, the meaning of it and glorify things that weren't meant to be glorified. Yeah. Um, I mean, even within the movie, there's the, they kind of have the, like with the Forbes article when he's like first building, um, his brokerage, which is Stratton, what is it called? Stratton Oakmont. Mm-hmm. And like, he gets interviewed by Forbes and the lady, there's just this huge expose on him, calls him like, uh, just a thief and he's a Robin who just takes from the rich and gives to himself. Right. And he's like, oh my God, this was a hatchet job. And the next day he shows up and there's like hundreds of guys out of college who are like, oh, please hire me like with their resume. Yeah. Which is, yeah, kind of just like a, a funny parallel to the movie itself. Right. That like some people can see this thing about this horrible person and be attracted to it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just like, like this is the lifestyle. Yeah, this I is want. what I want to do. 
but you know, at the same time, you you'll see Jordan Belford and his his rich, uh, wealthy excess lifestyle. But then also tra- it being you know he, him he's in a terrible relationship, a yeah. terrible abusive relationship, or you know he's just a shitty husband and a shitty father. And then I lo- I love the Quaalude scene for a lot of reasons because a it's hilarious and yeah. <laughs> and it's just like they are just balls to the wall like they're doing that. And also, it's just like okay, so this person is, you know, at the very you know top of the food chart in terms of wealth, but like they are literally crawling on the ground like an yeah. infant. Like this is where that they are at. Yeah. I think it's also like at the beginning they talked about uh, Matthew McConaughey's character was telling Jordan Belfort who who did Matthew McConaughey play? Um, his name is I know his last name is Hannah. It is Mark Hannah. Mark Hannah. Yeah. Um, and this is like, dude, you have to like do cocaine and you have to masturbate twice a day yeah. if you want to make it in, in as like a, as like a stockbroker. Cause like that life is, is so, uh, yeah. I guess stressful and it, it numbs them to the reality of what they're doing. I think the Hannah scene is honestly kind of like a justice for the movie itself. Like when Leo's talking, he's like, well, you know, if they make money too, then it works out and then. McConaughey goes like, well, no, that's that's the matter. Like, right? It's all, like, literally, he just basically says it's all about getting individually rich. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, what happens to even the brokers? They, like, he doesn't care at all. Yeah, I, you can kind of just see at that moment, like, Belfort kind of get caught up and like attracted by this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. No, but, like, it is literally just like an all for yeah one. Considering McConaughey is only in it for like ten minutes, I think he's hilarious and just great. Yeah, I know he's like you know the chest pounding thing mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw like I was doing a little research on it too and I guess basically how that came about was like he would do that before just scenes like as like his like hiding himself up yeah it's like a it's like a like an actor yeah and yeah. DiCap- DiCaprio saw it and was like ask Scorsese like hey can we put that in the movie like so that's basically how it came about like McConaughey would just do it in between scenes like hum to himself and like the mm, and pound his chest mm-hmm. and then like they decided to just throw it in the movie mm-hmm I know a lot of the parts. This is like I know Scorsese. This is kind of his most like uh, improv-heavy movie. A lot of the times they would just like they would shoot scenes a few times to kind of just let the actors riff with each other. Mm-hmm. Like Jonah Hill, like I think probably because he has a background in comedy. Right. Like he was just able to kind of riff and, mm-hmm. which yeah, a lot of Scorsese's movies have like pretty tight scripts. So this one's pretty like improv-heavy. I know. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. It's it's definitely it's the most uh, it's the most comedy. Yeah, out of out of any Scorsese movie that I've seen so far. Yeah, it definitely has a different energy. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what might throw some people off when going back on like the conversation about if it's glorifying a lot of the, a lot of the actions. Like it's not taking itself, you know, so seriously where what it's saying is obvious. I think it's I think that's a very intentional choice by him to make it more comedic. Yeah. So it's like okay, you have to really think about why you're citing a certain way or like do you actually like. Like, why are you enjoying this right now? Like, like this is awful. But it also is is not completely black and white either. Yeah. Like, it, like the, the it's you know he's doing terrible things, but I think it's reiterated in the one scene where he's about to step down, but I mean doesn't end up doing it. Where it kind of seems like it's the end of the movie, and he talks about um, one. Uh, I'm not leaving scene. The yeah, I'm not fucking leaving. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's right before that where she or he brings up. Uh, what's her name? One of the other like oh, first the Kimmy first twenty. Her name is yeah Wendy. Yeah, um, and how she he offered her like twenty five thousand yeah. just to just to pay tuition for her her son's school, um, because you know she was broke and needed a job and yeah, um, and it's like okay he's done good things like that is a good thing that he has done for this person but yeah I feel like it's also. You know, just testing how the audience feels about him, and also it's just a way for Jordan Belfort as a character to sort of deal with like the fact that he's screwing so many people over. Like, oh, it's okay because I yeah, did he's this. Helping other people. Right. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's. I mean, even, even at the end, I think with like at the end, Kyle Chandler, like once he arrests him, and there's a shot of Kyle Chandler on the subway, just looking around. I think that kind of shows. Like, obviously, this movie's kind of a criticism of wealth or like the constant drives to get like more and more wealth. But mm-hmm. at the end, I feel like that kind of shows that like having wealth is nice at points. I mean, like, Kyle Chandler, he captures, I mean, he gets Jordan Belfort, he gets him arrested, but then it just cuts to him and, like, he's sad by himself on the subway, like, 
in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I don't think it's I don't think this movie is completely black and white. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a criticism of wealth and excess and all that, but there is a lot of nuance to it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Charles. Lowe. For sure. Can we can we talk about that scene with uh, with Kyle Chandler and um, I'm forgetting all these character names with uh, Kyle Chandler as as FBI agent Patrick Denham and um, Andrew and Belfort where they're just on the yacht scene because oh, that yeah. was the most tense thing. The tension is so well managed in that scene. Yeah, because you know that Jordan is smart enough to not do. A lot that would incriminate him, although he ends up uh, he ends up bribing him. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, okay, it's it's kind of it's kind of a battle of the wits, a, a battle of wits in a way because it's like, okay, you know that Patrick is is obviously like sort of like has the upper hand in the yeah. situation, and it's like, okay, you kind of, you, you, I like you don't really want to see uh, you don't really want to see Jordan go down at this point, but it's. It's, yeah, it's a weird thing. I think part of it has to do with just DiCaprio's charisma in general. Like, yeah. he's a guy that, like, obviously he's done so many roles and people just like him. Mm-hmm. But he's a pretty terrible person, so it's like you kind of find yourself... Yeah, you don't want to see him... You fi- kind of find yourself rooting for him, even though he's just an awful, terrible person. Right. And I think that's kind of, like, a lot has to do with just DiCaprio, which I think he's great in this movie. I don't know what you think of him. Maybe. I, this is his best performance, yeah. in my honest opinion. I think he's so phenomenal in this movie. Uh just embodying that charisma, but also, like, total sleaziness. Yeah, he does, like, a pretty... I know this is a little bit off-topic, but, they were like, I know DiCaprio won a bidding war over Brad Pitt for this to be producer. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty big bidding war. What would, how do you think Brad Pitt would have been I, if that would happen? I don't see it. You don't see all. it? I don't see it at all. Yeah. No, I think I think Brad Pitt is... I mean, Brad Pitt's awesome. I think Brad Pitt's an, a really great actor, but, like... I feel like Brad Pitt's way too straight-laced to play yeah. a role like this. Yeah. I kind of agree. I mean, you know, again, I love love Brad Pitt, but yeah. it's just pretty interesting what if. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Brad Pitt, you know, he definitely has that presence, but he doesn't have that that same level of charisma and energy yeah. as, as Leo has, I don't think. Because I think, Le- I think uh, Leo does a really... Like, he, he's best when he's playing these bombastic roles like this yeah. and when he's yelling a lot and when his and when his energy is really heightened well I think Brad Pitt like I think his best role is honest to God I think his two best roles are in the two movies that he was in this year Ad Astra and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I think both of those roles are both super restrained especially Ad Astra where he's conveys so much emotion with so little yeah, I kind of agree. I think, yeah, Brad Pitt's done, like, some over-the-top roles, obviously. Fight like Club. 12 Monkeys. Yeah, Fight Club. I mean, a little bit Inglorious Bastards. But, yeah, I'd say my favorite role is really, like you said, Ad Astra. Yeah. Moneyball is another one. That's true. When he kind of plays it. I feel like a lot of that that role is pretty restrained, though. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what I mean. I, like, I think I kind of really yeah. do that. Like, even though he's, he could be really funny with the comedic timing, but, like, his more restrained roles, like Ad Astra and Moneyball, I think is where he shines the best. So yeah. I don't know if he would have really worked in this. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. What about uh, what do you think of Jonah Hill? I think he's good. I re- I really like the uh, <laughs> the cousin game. Oh, that was so that funny they, that just, they bring up at the beginning. Like, like I wouldn't let anyone else fuck my own cousin, so yeah. I just had to do it out of respect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even just the the super white teeth and the thick yeah. rimmed glasses with the weird shirt color. Like, he first yeah, I mean, the like you make if you show me a pay stuff for like seventy thousand right now, I'll quit my job for you. Mm-hmm. Like he's just super funny in this movie. I think he, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, because this is right after Moneyball, so it was pretty interesting to see. Like this is the role. I know he like really wanted to be in this role. He only got paid like sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. It was like the, the it's the minimum for the uh, for the actors. Yeah, role, I, think. I think he told Leo like, tell Martin like, please put me in this role. If I don't get in this movie, like I'll never forgive you. I want to be in this movie so bad. Like I'll right. take the lowest amount. Which mm-hmm. I mean, I just think he's great in it. Yeah, him and Leo's chemistry just. They're just hilarious together. Mm-hmm. They're both just like <laughs> again during that quaalude scene. It's just like yeah, them seeing them just crawling, yeah, and, mumbling, and mumbling, and talking incoherently, yeah, and fight on the ground. And then he he chokes on the piece of ham, yeah, that he starts eating for some reason. And yeah, it's 
Uh, yeah, Jonah Hill has like super, like really, really good comedic timing in this movie. Yeah, I think has he been in a notable leading role? Because I don't, I don't know if I've ever really seen him in that. He's just really, really good at being a supporting, like bouncing off of other people. Yeah, I mean, not like in a super serious role. I guess I mean, like there's a downstream movies and like super bad in those, which I guess kind of he's the leading roles. But those are obviously more comedic movies, right? Oh, but even in, like, Moneyball, like, Moneyball was a dramatic performance, and he's really good in that. Yeah, but again, that's, like, a supporting. I mean, yeah, yeah he's great in Moneyball. Yeah. What did you think of, uh, like, the Spike uh, Spike Jones cameo? I didn't realize that was him until I looked it up afterwards. Yeah. Apparently, he was, like, he, like, really, really wanted to be in a cameo in that movie. Yeah, because he's uncredited. He's not in the credits. Yeah, yeah. I just think he's hilarious, too. Like, his, like, little unbalanced mustache is... Mm-hmm just untucked shirt and all that like he just I mean he knows like he's basically a loser like he says like like when they're having the conversation about like getting 50% commission mm-hmm. and he's like so if I sell 10,000 shares or $10,000 worth of shares I get $5,000 and then I think Spike Jen says something to the effect of like if you sell 10,000 share $10,000 worth of shares I'll give you a blowjob right now yeah like, and I want to do it like he's only in it yeah. for, he's just but again yeah he, Spike Jones and his cameo roles and another one is in Moneyball mm-hmm. Spike Jones cameo roles he's in Moneyball? yeah he's um Brad Pitt's ex-wife, new husband. Oh. Yeah, he's really funny in that, too. Just looks like, yeah. It's only like a two or three minute scene, but. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Spike Jones is great. Spike Jones, I, I, I love, I love, uh, what has he even done? Because, like, I'll, I, I love her. Like, her is one of my favorite movies ever, but I honestly don't know if I've seen any of his other... Uh, he did Being John Malkovich, Adaption. A lot of, like, oh, okay. Charlie being, Coffin movies. Being John Malkovich is awesome. Yeah. I love that movie. I still haven't seen an adaptation, but I've heard, like, really yeah. funny things. But it's also Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. It's, Charlie Kaufman. It, it, Charlie Kaufman's the main character in Adaptation. Like, Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman. Right. Did you ever see Anomalisa? No, I didn't. I've heard very mixed things about it. I've heard some people say that it's a masterpiece, and some people say it's awful and like kind of misogynistic yeah I've never seen it yeah I also forgot just like how there are other I mean like Rob Reiner's in this movie and like a kind of yeah. role John Favreau's in this mm. movie there's just a few other there directors. was just a, sh- yeah. there's just a shot of, of those th- of, of, of Rob Reiner Leo and and John Favreau just walking yeah. down like wow this is so cool Rob Reiner's <laughs> hilarious I know I know just the equalizer part like when <laughs> like when he's getting the phone call and he's like mm-hmm. you fucking halfway <laughs> I wait all week to watch the Equalizer, and then just like answers. And the then on the phone in a British yeah, accent. Yeah, like oh, cheerio. Yeah, he's or like the part with T and A between him and like the back and forth between uh, him and Jono. So you just said T and no, I said T and A. I think you're you gotta let it out, Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mad Max. We were talking about the I'm not fucking leaving scene. There's the like pounding the chest. Oh, about that scene, I love how. Um, or not about that scene in particular, I guess, but like how it almost seems like the movie is going to end there. Yeah. And at first I thought, and I was like, wait, this is the fastest three hours of my life. And I wasn't checking the time. I was just letting it go. And I was like, okay, I I guess this is where we're going to go. But then it just goes on for another, another hour. It just completely subverted my expectations of what this movie was going to be. Yeah. How it like follows that, that traditional, arc for about two hours and then it just keeps going and I think think that's what really drives home that the whole thing about like this movie is just excess like this life of excess and it's just you didn't need that two that extra hour but it's there and it's it's just what it is yeah because these guys are like they're almost like literal pirates in a way yeah and I think uh, having it go after, like, I think Black Monday, I think that's what it's called, like, having it take place right after that. Because mm-hmm. that was kind of a point when before that thing stopped, workers were kind of looked at as, like, these geniuses and these, like, masters of the universe who knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. With, like, McConaughey basically saying, like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, nobody knows. It can go up and down. It's just these, all right. they, they don't really know anything. All they know is just how to make money for themselves. These guys don't really know more than any other person. Right. But, yeah, I mean. I mean, that's that's shown in the fact that it's, like, okay. He on that team of original brokers that start up uh, Stratton Oakmont. It's like none of them except oh, yeah. for one guy had a law degree and like the yeah other, the rest were like, like yeah. were, were pretty much just <laughs> drug dealers and people and people that he knew that it was like okay, you guys aren't the smartest but like I could teach you how to do how to do this yeah 
What do you think of uh, I forget John Berthold was in this movie. Obviously, he's a pretty limited role. But what do you think of? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, As Brad. I mean, I yeah, I thought he was. I thought it was pretty funny. I feel yeah. like I I don't see John Berthold in a lot. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny when he passes away and he's like he died at the age of thirty five, like Mozart. Not that really had anything in common. <laughs> common but. But. <laughs> so I don't even know why I said yeah. that. <laughs> that was. Again, just reinforcing... I mean, I guess he was, like, a drug dealer. But, again, yeah. reinforcing that theme was, like, okay, Jordan Belfort's just, like, living through all this while everyone else is yeah. is dying and he's still doing terrible things. I guess Jordan Bernthal was, like, a part of that whole yeah. scheme. But you know what I mean. Um, that, okay, did you ever see Widows? Because yes. I feel like he was in Widows for, like, maybe a minute. Yeah, I mean, he's in a lot of, like... I mean, he's in Baby Driver for like 10 minutes yeah. kind of just pops up in cameos kind of yeah. in the same like super tough guy mm-hmm. which I mean he thinks he's like a classically trained actor right but he's kind of got typecast into this like just ultra tough guy I mean he's like obviously the Punisher and he's in Walking Dead mm-hmm. but I mean he's a good actor like he was in yeah. Ferrari recently which I thought I really liked him in mm-hmm. was he was he like a no he kind of plays in that he plays Lee Iacocca like a he was a Ford businessman he's not really like his Typical role in that. I did not realize Ford v Ferrari was two hours, 32 minutes long. Yeah, it's kind of I just long. have it pulled up right now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I doubt it's still playing in 40X, but... Probably not. But, I mean, yeah. I think it's... I'd recommend it. Yeah. I'm trying to... There's a bunch of movies that are coming out on, at SIF, like, around Christmas. Yeah. Like, there's... Uh, there's so many I want to see. There's, like, Little Women's coming out. There's uh, Uncut Gems is coming yeah. out. I'm so That's excited. That's probably my most anticipated movie for the year. I'm so excited to see Uncut Gems. Yeah. Um, and then there's one more that's coming out like a few days before it, but I'm forgetting on what it is. Um, I mean, we haven't really talked about like, and this is one of like, I think it's only like a third rule ever, but Margot Robbie. Like this is the movie that basically put right. her on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't really, I've, I'm not really sure what else notable that she'd been in before this. I don't think anything. I'm pretty sure this was like literally, her, she was, an unknown. This is maybe this was her fourth movie ever, and the other ones I've never even heard of. Yeah, the other ones are two. Seems like Australian movies. Oh, one Australian, and a British movie. So about time. Yeah, she was in that. I think. Uh, I think the same year. Yeah, I think the same year, but like before, because this came out on Christmas, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this and is, what a movie to drop on Christmas of all. Yeah, things. it's like the most. America turned Christmas into such a capitalistic holiday. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. this just being a movie, you know, about <laughs> the sleaziness of of the stock workers and and capitalistic wealth, and it's such a it's such a clever move. I, I love that so much. Yeah. Um, no, but anyway, um, no, Margot Robbie's super super good in this. Yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't. I mean, I don't think there's been a role that she's been bad in. Yeah, no, she's been great. It was just this is new that everyone was like. Everyone's this person, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, she's, again, super funny, she has great comedic timing, but also mm-hmm. just, I mean, yeah, she's just great, I don't know. Oh, she has the, uh, she has this one quote that I, I liked a lot. Who's Venice? Then he's like, Oh, who, that scene who? is great. <laughs> she's like, who, who, what are you, fucking owl? Yeah. Uh, there's that. Yeah, and he's like, no, uh, Venice, it's, uh, oh, we're talking about investing in Oh, yeah, in we're going to be investing in Venice. And he's and like, then, in Italy? No, in California. <laughs> Uh, and then it's just cuts them and he's getting like the, that's when he's getting like the candle wax like yeah, on his back yeah <laughs> I mean like, the scene like, between them at the end when like um, her Aunt Emma dies and then like she's just like bawling she's like I can't believe Aunt Emma died and like Belford's just like like oh fuck but he's saying that because yeah obviously like, because of his because investment because the 20 yeah. million dollars like, oh in, my in, god in, in her name and then, yeah, yeah. I thought it was hilarious yeah and like that's that's the reason he's freaking yeah, out like, oh. but yeah it's or it's like it's it's not he's not even mourning for yeah his he's, wife. More he's like mourning for his, his twenty his million money. dollars, which you know it's. I think the end is so like poignant too because yeah. he only ends up serving three years and then he's back to being a motivational speaker. Well, yeah, I don't know. Do you know that was Jordan Belfort? Like the you yeah, know Jordan Belfort at the end, which is yeah. kind of weird. I feel like it's weird that he would agree to be in this movie because I feel like it doesn't paint him. No, in the very especially the last no. minutes, I think like when there's the whole like argument scene when the like Margaret Robbie says she wants to get divorced mm-hmm. and like he's beating her and 
steals a child and crashes a car. Like, that's, I think, kind of, that has to be in the movie to just run you. Like, this guy is a terrible, terrible right. person. Like, just in case you forgot. Yeah, like, he's <laughs> terrible. Um, so it's weird that, like, uh, Jordan Buffett would agree to be there at the end. Like, because, yeah, I feel like this isn't painted with positive light. But I just think, yeah, the end, you said it's very point. Like, obviously he kind of gets what's coming to him, but he's still rich. He serves three years in prison. Only, yeah, only three years. Only three years, years in prison. At the, at the very end, the very last shot is just everyone looking, looking at, at him in awe. Yeah, which, again, is, yeah. Like, they're still viewing him as, like, this, like... Yeah. This 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 figure. Which I think part of I think part of the reason I like it so much that I think it's aged so well. You mean like this whole slee stalking I mean like not to get like too too political, but like the whole like a side thing he does about like he's talking about the IPOs and he's like, Oh that doesn't matter, like he the whole like you know, he's explaining almost like big short, but then he kinda of brushes it off like that mm-hmm. who gives a shit about that? Right. It might be very like Trump ish the way he talks. Like he'll say something and be like kind of rambling and say something and not explain it. I kind of like that. That's why I think it's aged so well. Is that like these Jordan Belfort type people exist? Yeah, and are still people that people look up to and follow, mm-hmm. even like yeah, I mean decades later. Like these people that don't care about you, that just want care about themselves and them, wealth themselves and power are but, the ones that you know will still get away scot free. Yeah, and that people still glorify and like look up to, and people will follow. Right. Yeah. And that's that's so emblematic in that final shot. And I was like, that is a perfect final yeah, shot. Yeah, the last shot's great. And it's 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 tragic. It's it's tragic in a way if you if you yeah. view it that way. Because the other shot that we haven't really talked about, the like maybe my favorite shot in the movie, but you know the part it's like when um, that's oh sorry uh, I, Stratton Oakmont is like it's uh, still kind of small and there's like the he gives the secretary like a thousand dollars to shave her head. And they bring in the marching band and the strippers and all that. Mm-hmm. That I think that scene was part of one of my favorites, obviously, because it's, like, this incredible amount of excess. And it's, like, oh, my God, this should be, like, the best moment of these guys' lives. Uh, you know, like, it feels like this. these guys are the happiest people in the world. But then, like, the music kind of, the, the jazz music kind of starts to distort and the lighting gets, like, darker. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to, like, Leo and he just kind of has this, like, devilish look on his face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, like, that's, again, to remind you, like, this is excess. But it's like, these guys have created, like, basically almost hell on earth. Yeah. And, like, they're in hell, but these dudes are just the worst people, and they're, like, it's like this huge excess, and it looks like it's all this fun. But the way, like, Scorsese kind of, so, like, changes the music, changes the lighting, he kind of changes the camera angles and the mm-hmm. editing. Again, it just highlights that, like, this, these people are terrible. Right. And Ch- they're doing terrible things and they re- almost they relish in doing terrible things. Yeah. And it's like, it, it changes the, the perspective of how we view Jordan also in that yeah. scene because it's like, he's, he's like the devil and these are his worshipers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're literally almost demons. Like yeah. these, the shot, yeah. I mean, they're partying insanely and with strippers and drugs and all that. And a literally marching band with no shirts on. Mm-hmm. But the way the camera language just kind of shows it like, yeah, these people are the worst. That's why I think this is, one of my favorite Scorsese movies so far. And again, there's like a huge, huge bulk of his filmography I still haven't seen, but yeah. like, I definitely at least liked it a lot better than The Irishman because I feel like The Irishman was, you know, again, great cast, great acting, great direction overall. And I really love the last third of that movie also, but I feel like that movie is just so dour for three and a half hours. Yeah. And I just like... Uh, Again, not saying that's inherently a bad thing, but I think uh, everything in The Wolf of Wall Street reinforces that message that it's saying at the very end of it. Yeah. And it is a wild ride, and you're like, why am I enjoying this so much? And it's making you question – it's making you actively question your role and, like, why you're thinking the way you are about these people. Um, and then that's reinforced by the end shot where it's like everyone's looking up to him and it's like, okay, you get it now because all these people are looking up to him when he's still a terrible person. And that's, that's tragic in a way because it's like, it's just this leading a cycle of ignorance among people that are like, okay, they're still viewing these people in a positive light when yeah. they're doing terrible things. Whereas I think the Irishman... Not everything in the movie, I, I don't think, really contributes to the theme of what they're going for, except for, like, everything with his daughter. Yeah. 
I think the stuff with his daughter is really great and really drives home when you feel her presence. I wish she had more of a presence in the movie because I don't think she really does. But yeah, I would, the only other the Irishman I get, and I, I someone who really enjoyed it. But I think it's interesting to kind of look at it just in as a retrospective almost. For, I don't know if it's going to be his last movie, it probably won't be. But just as a retrospective for his career and the movies he's done, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I think he said the last nine minutes is pretty interesting. Like he's done Goodfellas in a movie like this, and it's kind of like what happens to those terrible people. At the end of their life, you know, when like they just die alone. Yeah, when everyone, when none of the, nobody remembers what they've done. Their entire family hates them. Right. Obviously, these people are terrible, but it's like somewhat tragic, mm-hmm. which I think really worked on me. But yeah, I, I can see your criticism. Though. I think no, I think yeah, I think you do actually bring up a really good point because that's like, as someone who was not really like as someone in our generation isn't going to be as actively in invested or have a working knowledge about like Jimmy Hoffa and, yeah. and and Frank and all these people. So it's like, okay, their, their stories were a huge part of history. And now for our generation, they've sort of become irrelevant. Yeah. I think that's a really great, like sort of like meta connection to that, uh, that story and what Marty is saying there. But yeah, I, I, I think maybe, do you think that like once I've, gone back and like watched of all like a big portion of his movies and then gone uh and watched the irishman again i think like, potentially you'd like it more because i think it's kind of an interesting retrospective on like not only the movies he's made but kind of his career in general mm-hmm. like you're saying about the whole jimmy hoffa thing like his nurse doesn't remember who jimmy hoffa was even right. though, like earlier in the movie they state that he was the second most powerful person in the country right which is kind of like a interesting parallel to the there's probably people now who don't even really know who martin scorsese is right even though he's maybe the most influential director of the last, like, 30, 40 years. Right. Which is kind of like, I don't know, it's a little bit pressing that, like, no matter what you do, there's always going to be a time when people just kind of forget you or your impact is not going to be remembered. And mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, that's why, I mean, the Irish success, I really, really liked the Irishman. I thought the ending worked really, really well on me. I think I'll end up liking it a little bit yeah. more on rewatch. I mean, I think your criticisms are, are fair of it. You know, like, mm-hmm. Adam but I think, I think she does really good in a little bit limited stuff she has, but... She only has a few speaking lines in the whole movie. I just feel like like she is the crux of the movie. Yeah. And just in terms of like his relationship with his family just completely dwindling because of what he does. And I, I feel like the relationship between her and Jimmy Hoffa is super interesting also. And I just I, – I, I really wanted a lot more out of that. But yeah. maybe – I mean, yeah, I, I – it. Obviously, Martin Scorsese knows what the hell he's doing, yeah. and everything he did was an intentional choice. I just yeah. feel like, I don't know, there's something that sort of was off-setting to me. Like, I, it, I need to, re- I definitely need to yeah. revisit it. I, I want to revisit it, but it's also just like three and a half hours yeah. long. I honestly kind of think that even this is not even disconnection, but like technically wise, I don't think the Irishman exists without Wolf of Wall Street because this Wolf of Wall Street was the most CG he's ever used in the movie. I think like forty of the shots have. Computer generated images, mm-hmm. and obviously the length. So I think that right. definitely, like, without his, he switched to digital from this. Like before, that he was a pretty, pretty big advocate for still shooting on film. Mm-hmm. For Wolf of Wall Street, he switched to digital. He started using computer generated stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think without that, you don't get the whole de aging technology. That kind of probably interesting years later. Right. I think it would be interesting to see, like, to literally watch Wolf of Wall Street, and then immediately after that, watch yeah. The Irishman. I feel like that would make for a really good double feature yeah like okay these are these people in power and and how you know despite all the terrible things they they have they're or they they've done they're still fine and that they still these these people that will look up to them no matter what which is inherently a really tragic thing but then also you see like the the other side of the coin like what happens to the the people like that person uh once their time is up, yeah, like like they're just gonna be left alone and and left to die alone and yeah, and that's also inherently a tragic thing too. So it's it's just it's just a lot of morally gray stuff, and it makes you think. And yeah, Martin Scorsese, talented ass guy. I respect the hell out of him. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to um, wrap up now? I guess yeah. There, I mean, there's a couple of, like just interesting bits of trivia that I found. Okay. One, I guess this movie set the record for most expletives at the time it was released, The Wall Street. I believe it. Which, yeah, <laughs> that was just kind of funny. And, you know the Steve Madden scene? He, where that, he's, like, up on the... Yeah, and he's kind of bombing. One that yeah. Steve, the guy who plays Steve Madden is Dustin Hoffman's son. 
um, huh. Jay Kaufman, and I guess like I reading interview Scorsese said that basically like Steven Spielberg was on set at that time, mm-hmm. and like Steven Spielberg basically directed that one scene. No way. Yeah, he was just like telling him like, oh, what if you try using his camera angles? And Scorsese's like, hey man, like, yeah, go ahead, just let it. So he's like, yeah, that one scene basically of the movie is, he's not credited, but it's basically that Steve Madison is basically directed directed by Steven Spielberg, which I thought was kind of. Interesting little. That's kind of about. awesome. Yeah, I re- I really like hearing stories about about them and like directors that like, like legendary directors that I really appreciate. Yeah, just like collaborating together and working. Which together. I think is interesting. Like it probably shows like Scorsese's pretty comfortable in his own skin because there's probably other directors right. who would feel a little threatened. Like, by, you're, like you're infringing upon my yeah, creative obviously vision, like, but like yeah, but Scorsese's like no, nah, dude, you're one of the best directors ever. That's Go a- ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, and obviously they they have their their. They do like like they do their thing and they do it super well. But like yeah. obviously that shows like how uh, mature and also secure Scorsese is with yeah. his own vision. Like okay, yeah, you can you can provide some insight as to. I mean, and he should because he's directed you know like pl- a ton of really yeah, classic, S- amazing movies. Spielberg is obviously, and so is Spielberg. Yeah. So like, and how are you gonna say no to Spielberg? Like, yeah. come on. I thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit. I I know some, there are some people that think that Spielberg has like completely fallen off and thought like the uh, the post was just like a bad movie and I disagree completely. I think the post was awesome. Yeah, I don't think obviously it's like his last movies aren't his best, but I think I mean yeah, it's it's definitely not Patty, the post and Ready Player One aren't his best, but I still feel like there's still moments in there where you can still see the Spielberg magic. Right. Yeah. What were your thoughts on Ready Player One? If you ever saw it, yeah, I did. I thought like I mean, I'm not a big fan. I read the I read the book when I was really young, and mm-hmm. yeah, same. Here. It's a little like I liked it when I was younger, and I kind of regret it. And it's like oh, it's a little people have pointed out it's like a little like it's like a nerd pop culture nerd's like fantasy, and he like he's a little problematic because yeah, like, to the girl, yeah, and, and yeah. So I thought I mean that those moments still kind of shine through in the movie, but I just thought like visually they're still. Spielberg magic in it like that, the shining scene I just thought was cool the shining scene was so cool yeah oh so like goodness. it's not obviously, it's not it has it's definitely it definitely has it's problems yeah but watching that was like I mean Spielberg still has just I don't know he can still like just wrap me up and be like okay this is awesome mm-hmm. so yeah I mean like he's like you said I think his last movies people would kind of say like oh he's fallen off and he's kind of washed and he's not where he once was which maybe that's true but that probably just has to do more the fact that like he he was in a run during the 90s that was like amazing right there but just made masterpiece after masterpiece you can look at even the recent Spielberg movies and still find some amazing stuff in them right I mean it's for a director to actually I think that's something that is really notable about the Irishman too is like for you to have a director that's been working for 40 plus years and then make a a movie of the quality of the Irishman after that, like, have a consistently even level, like, these are all great films. Yeah. Like, I, some people are saying, like, The Irishman is, like, one of his best films, and I mean, like, I might not personally agree with that. I think it's such a, I mean, it's it's incredibly competently made. Like, it's it, it's just, like, crazy to see how people can be that consistent. Yeah. And sure, like, Spielberg might not have that level of consistency, but, like, he's still undeniably an incredibly talented filmmaker. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, do you have a favorite, like what's your favorite Scorsese movie you've seen so far? Obviously, I haven't seen a lot of them, but... Probably this, honestly. Yeah. Or Taxi Driver, maybe? No, Taxi Driver's great. I would say for me, it's Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, which Goodfellas is kind of the basic choice, but I really do love that movie. It's great. It's great. Yeah, I think, honestly, Wolf of Wall Street, I have it at a four right now. That's because I do, like full stars in my litter box yeah but I was like really shifting between four and a five and like that final shot was like I want to give it a five now yeah. but like I'm not sure I feel like I'd have to watch it again yeah to to really gauge my entire judgment on it but I really really loved it yeah I think Leo should have won the Oscar that year no for sure I don't think he deserved it for The Revenant. <laughs> no, I think if you, I mean, if, yeah, I, I think if you look at, like, right before The Revenant, let me pull up his filmography really fast, but he had, like, a run that was, like, starting from, like, 2002, just Catch Me If You Can, which I really like, Gangs of New York, which I'll defend a lot, even though that's kind of, like, Scorsese is one of his oh, more complicated I've, ones. I've heard it's one of people's least favorite I really like Scorsese's. it, but, I mean, The Departed, The Aviator, Blood Diamond, There's Shutter Island, Inception, 
Django, this, The Great Gatsby. You know, like I would probably put all, a lot of those roles, if not all of them, above, except for J. Edgar. J. Edgar's pretty bad, but um, above The Rev- Revenant. But that, I don't know, that's kind of the way the Oscars work. That's it, yeah, it's it's a lot of times it's not really for the movie, it's for Yeah, like, I mean, for Scorsese, he won his first Oscar for The Departed, which is a movie I really like. But the Departed's really good. I wouldn't but, say like, it's his best. It's, it's, it's not the only movie. It, yeah, I mean, considering it's the only Oscar he's ever won. Yeah. yeah, it's it's again it's, it's like again that's just the Oscars. A lot of times right. you're just like, oh, here's a we're sorry we should have got given you this a long time award. Like I feel award. like The Departed is a great fun movie. Yeah, like I love I, The Departed. It's great. I but. feel like in after seeing something like The Wolf of Wall Street, it's like there's not a lot of like moral gray area. Yeah, The Departed is just it's, an entertaining. It's, it's, it's not novelty. really it's not really something that's like it, it, it'll make you think about. Like, it doesn't really make you think a lot. It's just sort yeah, of, like... Yeah, it's just... I mean, it's, you're, it's you're fun and entertaining. Right. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, he has a lot of movies that have you think about, like, societal issues, like, capitalism and masculinity and all that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, don't want to just, like... We didn't even really talk about that with The Wolf of Wall Street, but there's, the like, to- a, Toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's present, in, like, in... A lot almost, of his, almost all his movies. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's kind of a theme that, like... Which is why, like, I think one of the criticisms for The Irishman... I know people have kind of criticized the anime... Paquin thing about like you know like and there's a criticism in general that like Scorsese doesn't have a lot of like female led movies or like one of the only one people bring all the time is Casino with Sharon Stone Mm -hmm. but at the same time I feel like a lot of his movies they're not female led but they still kind of like they're male led but the criticisms of male um, like toxic masculinity and like the things that like guys can get away with in society so I feel Mm -hmm. like I don't know like yeah on paper it's like he's not giving roles to He's not giving huge speaking roles to females in a lot of his movies. Yeah, but which I mean, it's it's like it's because he's criticizing you, masculinity. You so kind often. of wish that he would. Yeah, because I mean that would obviously be yeah, great. I think but, maybe, but you know, in the in the in the same vein, it's like okay, if you're viewing a movie through like the lens of sexist men, then yeah, yeah it's going to be that point. way. And yeah, again, like he, not to say he couldn't do it, but yeah, I just think again, like he's. A lot of times he's show, highlighting just these terrible, awful men with toxic masculinity and stuff. So, yeah, of course they're going to be the lead. Right. And even then, like, he's still done other stuff. Like, he was a pretty, pretty huge Greta Gerwig advocate when she was coming up. Like, he's still a guy that obviously cares about, like, cinema and even, like, right. female-directed cinema, female-led mm-hmm. cinema. So, yeah, I mean, it's a criticism. But I feel like just to paint with that broad brush, he's a lot, like, again, like, a lot of his movies. He's a lot, the situation is a lot more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that... Again, I, I I think that that's that's another uh, that's something that we kind of or that I kind of like was talking about when I did the American Psycho podcast it was like like is this is this movie actually sexist or is it because that we're viewing it from the lens of Patrick yeah. Bateman? I think it's a very similar situation. Yeah, where, where it's like Jordan Belfort is a, a, a sexist man. Yeah. That and again, like I was saying, I think showing something doesn't equal endorsement. Exactly. Which exactly, a lot of people yeah. like, it's on maybe on the internet, it's like a lot easier just to have a hot take like, oh my God, this movie is sexist. It shows terrible things. But just because he's showing something again, it doesn't mean he's saying this is good. I think yeah. it's pretty clear he's saying this is yeah. terrible. Yeah. I think Taxi Driver is where it gets like the most morally gray. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because I know Scorsese's like, in old interviews, he said he kind of consider Taxi Driver to be a little bit of a feminist film. He's like kind of yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I know it's just part, I know like I was an interview, it's like a long time ago, but I was reading it. Yeah. Like when he was like, it's probably worth it to say, but I really do consider Taxi Driver kind of a feminist film, feminist film. Cause it's obviously about, it's just showing like this guy who has such a war view on women and stuff. And he kind of gets celebrated at the end for being overly violent. So he's, Toxic behavior is kind of rewarded, which is why I kind of why I think he kind of considers it like a feminist. Mm-hmm. Like if it, if it's viewing these men in a um, in a in a critical angle, where it's like okay, yeah, what they're doing is is really questionable, yeah, and wrong. Uh, especially if it's like if women is involved it, are involved somewhere in that equation, it's like yeah, it's it's not always you know like glorifying their actions. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a tough line to straddle, but I think yeah, yeah. I think he does it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He's really great at making you think. Which yeah, is why the Departed shouldn't have won Best Picture. 
because that's like the one I've seen from him so far. It's like I I wasn't really left with much yeah to 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 chew on, but it's still it's still great. And I think Wolf of Wall Street is probably not my favorite of his. No, yeah, yeah. And great. I feel like it I'm might. Really happy you liked it. I feel, I feel like it it might end up being my favorite when yeah. I see it. I'm actually really. I checked out um, the Last Temptation of Christ. I'm super excited to watch that one. Super yeah. super excited. I, it's it's. I could tell it's going to be a much different movie. Yeah. But, like, Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah. So I'm just, like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm really ready. I've heard nothing but yeah, pretty no, fantastic great. things about it. Have you seen all of his movies? Not all of them. I've seen a lot of them. But, I mean, I've seen a lot of his newer movies, obviously, like Silence, Shutter Island. Like, I really want to see Silence, Silence too. Silence is great. It's not a really long movie, but, I mean, I'm always trying to go back. I mean, Yeah. Trying to think what movies I haven't seen. I've never seen King of Comedy, which is one I really want to see. King, I've seen King King, King Comedy is really good. It's, um, be, it's better than Joker. <laughs> uh, Age of Innocence is one I've heard. It's great. Oh yeah, I I forget that's him. Yeah, I always forget that's him. I've never seen like I've I've, I've still, I would say the biggest like gap for me is his early like late sixties seventies movies mm-hmm. like pre, right before Taxi Driver, but. Uh, I mean, from everything I've seen from him, I really love. Yeah. Even Gangs in New York, which is, I don't know, that's probably a hot take, but I really like Gangs in New York. I'll defend it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't. Um, yeah. I can't say anything about that one. Hopefully this winter break, I can get a big chunk out of his filmography yeah. done. I'm still trying to rewatch all the Star Wars movies before... Um, Rise of Skywalker. Before Rise of Skywalker, because I'm seeing that the night of the 19th. Oh, okay. So, like... And I I don't really know what my work schedule is gonna be yet, so like I need to <laughs> I need to like schedule that out because I'm gonna be in Seattle until like Thursday next Thursday night. Yeah. So I don't. Well, at least you got the holiday special checked out. At least I've got the yeah. holiday special. Yeah, I'm just gonna rewatch that over and over, and yeah, instead of studying for my finals. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh. But yeah. Oh, another thing I wanted to add now that we brought up Star Wars is I think that The Last Jedi is the second best movie in the series. I'm trying to think. I mean, I yeah. I, I'm trying to think what I have. I might have it like third probably, but I definitely have it up there. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, because like, yeah. I will accept. I will accept if you're in the middle about it. I will accept if you love it. No, I yeah. Feel like, I, I, I feel, feel like, like if people say that that's just like the worst Star Wars movie. That is yeah, just objectively I don't know how you false. Can watch that. I mean, like, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but there's so so many good things in that movie, which is why I'm so happy about Knives Out to see Ryan Johnson right. like not only get critical acclaim but financial success. It's like, yeah. as somebody who's been to kind of yeah, again like defend the Last Jedi for two plus years, yeah, it's like a little bit of validation. It's like, see, Ryan Johnson is a good director, right? It's he's it's, talented. It's it's not like they just gave this guy to some. They gave this movie to to some schmuck. Like they clearly yeah. saw something in him. And he's clearly very talented. Yeah, uh, it just it just makes me really upset when people are, are like, okay, yeah, this movie is just so like incompetently made and like, yeah, there's plot holes. I'm like, there's plot holes in every single Star Wars movie. Yeah, like, don't. I I I think that's also because like you know people, which I don't really get either. But like the whole like SJW thing and like how they thought it was like some SJW propaganda because like yeah, that's all pretty dumb. Because like Ray is yeah. The, a powerful character. Yeah, the stuff. That, yeah, but, I mean, that's been, like, talked over to death last few years, but I think it's all pretty dumb. The whole go woke, go broke, whatever it is. Yeah. It's dumb. But yeah. Last Jedi is a good movie. I just, I can't trust people if they say The Last Jedi is the worst Star Wars movie. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I don't know how you can watch the prequels. I just was, yeah, like, you were <laughs> mentioning, I know you can we were watching the, you watching the Star Wars movies yesterday. I, the prequels were on TV yesterday, so I was watching, uh, like, episode three. And I was like, how can you watch, like, in episode three is probably the best one for me at the prequels. How can you yeah. watch yeah, these sure. movies and be like, this is better than The Last Jedi? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> my my roommate, like, he thinks that Revenge of the Sith is, like, the best. Or, no, he didn't say that, but Revenge of the Sith, the Sith is his favorite of the series. I mean, it's, yeah, like I said, it's the best of the prequels. It has some cool stuff, but... yeah. It's just, like, those movies are literally 95% CGI, so it's hard to me, for me to, like, kind of get into them. Right. But every single shot is just a computer. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
Last Jedi is just like such a good looking movie too. Yeah, it's and awesome. And it's like good. the action is great. I think the story is great. I think like definitely the best looking Star Wars movie by far. I think I, I want to make like one last comment and then like we can wrap up. Um, but uh, I think well, obviously, like fundamentally, that movie is about failure, and I think that is represented in a lot of the character decisions because I've I've, been, I've had this conversation with some people and like especially the last scene with like Rose saving uh, saving Finn from. Um, from like he because he was gonna like sacrifice himself or whatever and then her like um hitting him to to like stop that um i think a lot of this movie is just about like the the decisions that we make as humans that are just so like fundamentally uh like flawed and like we do dumb shit all the time and i feel like people will uh conflate that with like oh it's just lazy writing but I yeah. think because it's Ryan Johnson I don't like I think I'll, that was all very intentional by him yeah for sure I think he's, Ryan Johnson's very smart and perspective uh, just a great director overall right yeah Last Jedi is awesome Wolf of Wall Street also awesome and uh, I think we're gonna start wrapping it up alright thanks again for having me oh yeah no problem it was, it was great to have you thanks, thanks again Nick for being on the podcast you can follow us on facebook at uw film club and on instagram and twitter at film club uw and then as always you can check out our podcast on apple Podcasts, google play spotify and soundcloud and we will catch you guys next week bye-bye